Hello and welcome to Overdrive, a program that ponders the issues of motoring and transport. I'm David Brown, and in this program we look at news stories from around the world, including the Council of Australian Governments, COAG, to consider road user charges. We look at the recent story from the United States about hackers taking control of a Jeep. What does it mean for us in Australia? We review the Toyota Fortuna new SUV, and in our panel discussion with Errol Smith and Brian Smith, we take a light-hearted look at stories including Juan Manuel Fangio's body to be exhumed. Have a question or a comment? Send it to overdrive at drivenmedia.com.au. Now, let's get the program going. First, the news. With no state elections due till early 2017, the soon-to-be-held COAG meeting might be a good time to discuss some difficult policies. The New South Wales Premier has already come out and said that he thinks GST should be lifted to 15%. The state premiers and the Prime Minister are also set to discuss a proposal to bring in road user charges while delivering cheaper fuel and vehicle registration. The South Australian Premier, Jay Weatherill, is a keen advocate of this approach. South Australia has already talked about bringing in a user charge for trucks. A user charge scheme would create economic incentives to reduce travel, especially at peak times. New Zealand and a number of American states have road user charge systems mainly using GPS-based electronic distance recorders. Small video cameras are often being fitted to today's motor vehicles, frequently with suction cups. Now the Toyota Tacoma mid-size utility in America is coming out with a GoPro camera mount as a standard feature. The Tacoma is seen as a tough truck that might use a video camera in off-road situations. But cameras are being used in many different situations. People are recording what is happening on the road for legal purposes if they're involved in an accident or they're using them to record examples of bad driving to put on social media or to record unusual situations that might make it to a news site. Toyota has set a trend that might well be followed by other companies. When the new Kia Carnival was crash-tested earlier this year by ANCAP, it received only a four-star rating. Several problems were identified. The Carnival did not have a seatbelt reminder for the second row of seats and, in the frontal overlap crash, the driver leg protection was not as good as it could be. The foot-operated handbrake was thought to contribute to the poor performance. Kia engineers have been working on the problems, and the Carnival will be resubmitted for a new ANCAP test. A five-star rating is good for the image of the car, and without it, government vehicles and some fleets will not consider the vehicle for purchase. Hankook, a South Korean tyre manufacturer, is working on developing tyres that do not need to be inflated. The tyre is a non-pneumatic tyre, or NPT, called the Hankook iFlex, which the company has been working on since 2011. The tyre is not solid, but rather has a lattice structure made from eco-friendly materials. The company has conducted tests including durability, hardness, stability, speed and slalom testing in an electric car. 
The car reached speeds of 130 kilometres per hour and apparently had good results, but Hankook has not released specific data, so the comparison with ordinary tyres is unknown. Recently, in Overdrive's road test of the Subaru Outback, we mentioned that the company was rumoured to be returning to competition. In response to demand from enthusiasts and professional teams, Subaru Australia is importing a limited number of WRX STI motorsport cars. The road-going WRX has increased in engine size to 2.5 litres, which has made it ineligible for some classes of race and rallying. The new WRX STI NR4 spec model is back to a 2-litre car. It is available for motorsport use only and cannot be road registered. Buyers need to fit an FIA-approved roll cage, which can be ordered at the time of purchase. The base car is priced from $38,000. North Korea has installed cycle lanes on major thoroughfares running through its capital, Pyongyang, in an apparent bid to cut down on pedestrian accidents. This is a common feature in many countries, but in North Korea it shows just how poverty-stricken the country is. In North Korea, the bicycle is seen as an expensive transport option. Private car ownership is said to be increasing, but it is still quite rare. According to residents and visitors, North Korean cyclists are not supposed to ride on urban roads and have, for years, used an unmarked narrow strip of pavement shared with pedestrians. Pyongyang, which translates to flatlands, is geographically bicycle-friendly, but has in the past introduced and then lifted bans on bikes in the city centre. And that has been the news. We've had people hacking our computer and social media sites, but now there is a story about a Jeep in America that has had its operating system hacked from a different, a distant site. This fear of hacking and its possibilities has been with us for a while. A few years ago, two hackers managed to hack into a Ford Explorer and a Toyota Prius, but they were in the car and they had to plug a cable into the vehicle. Now it can be done from outside in some circumstances. So what is the latest situation and what does it mean to us in Australia? Practicalmotoring.com.au has been looking into the issue and Paul Morell from that site is on the line to discuss the issue. Paul, thanks very much for your time. Thank you, David. What does this uh, mean firstly in terms of uh, the situation in Australia? David, I think we've, we've reached the brave new world, but let me put everyone at rest everyone's minds at rest, in Australia we are not yet affected, uh, which is not to say we won't be at some time in the future. Um, mm. The Aussie Australian systems do not connect to the internet, so therefore the, the vehicle cannot be hacked. It can only, you can only hack a vehicle that's connected to the internet. Yeah, what they do in America, they've had these sort of um, rescue and security type devices where they put like a pin uh, or a SIM card into the car and so if you've locked your keys in your car, you can ring the central system, give them a code number, and they can send a message out to unlock your car. Or, most particularly, if you have a crash, the car can sense that the airbags have gone off, 
the accelerometers say it's been a bad crash, they ring you up. And so the first thing you might hear after a crash is, are you all right? Mm. If, if no one responds, or even if you aren't, you know, if you're in a bit of a tight situation, they'll send out the emergency people. But, of course, that means that they're being able to link to the control centre of the car, which, of course, is a, a modern development, really, isn't it? It is, it is. I mean, we know with Ford, for example, that uh, if your phone is connected into the, into the, the system, as you say, mm. if that car crashes, it will automatically phone the emergency services. Now, that, by definition, mm. means that the converse can happen. Things can, yes. be, can be done to your car. Um, I mean, if we go back to, what, what was it, Robert Pepper said to me, Robert Pepper, our technical editor, said, remember the green screen Nokia phones? They were simple and they were dumb. Mm. And even though you had all your contact names and numbers in there and you type in all the entries, if you lost your phone, it was, it was no big deal. Right? Someone else might have found your phone and they'd have all those contacts, but what could they do with them? That's because they had no internet connection. They were self-contained. The whole effort to get something out of that was, was too much effort for too little return, which is still the situation we have with most cars. Robert tells me that the, the connection systems with cars are pretty much, they're pretty much 2005 technology. Uh, so 10 years behind what's happening with other connected systems. So at the moment, way too little return for way too much work to get anything from hacking into a car. I mean, you can unlock the doors and you can, you know, take control of it perhaps, but there's not, and again, that's the US systems, not much benefit in any of that. But that's, that's no. as we stand. There's two sides to it. There could be a maliciousness if people want to create ha havoc uh, and they could cause a car to crash on a major road. There could almost be mischievousness that if you want to turn the volume up on cars uh, uh, and do it, I'm not saying they've got the technology to do it, but the potential is there. The other, of course, is almost campaigning. I remember when the first computers came out, there was a virus called stoned and it, and it would come up and say, your computer has been stoned. Yes and it was to campaign for the legalisation of marijuana. Yes, uh, so there, there could be, I, I don't think marketing people from registered companies would want to be cutting into your radio program without your permission. Yet we are starting to do through Bluetooth of connecting our cars and interacting our cars with our phones much stronger. Yes. Uh, is that the potential avenue that might cause us some problems in the future? I think, I think the future risk is there are three, it's threefold. One is that as our vehicles become more automated, automation has the potential to be maliciously controlled. Right? Mm. So when you look at a car that can detect objects ahead and do self-braking and, and do steering and avoidance and whatever, uh, you know, automatic transmissions are computer controlled. Older cars were never vulnerable because they didn't have this, this level of, of automation. Secondly, cars are becoming increasingly connected to the internet, as you rightly say. So the more we connect to the internet, the more potential there is for someone to get in there and take control. And finally, remote takeover, data theft, sabotage, and that, you know, we're not secure when we're connected to the internet, regardless of how much we how much we try to protect ourselves. And we've seen you know, everything from Sony to LinkedIn being hacked. We've seen Ashley Madison being hacked. I wasn't on it, by the way. Smaller scale attacks are, are, are becoming commonplace. We're being hacked in order for us to be used, uh, ransomed, if you like, to be unhacked. Mm. Um, mm. You know, where we're, we're encrypted files, or you know, we're hacked and they encrypt our files, or we're hacked and unlocked systems that we need, and then demand money to unlock them or to unencrypt yes. them. Paul, as always, I appreciate your detailed knowledge. Uh, thank you very much.
My pleasure, David. That's Paul Morell from practicalmotoring.com.au. We were talking about the story that came out of America of a Jeep that had its operating system hacked. Uh, it doesn't affect cars in Australia, but it's still an issue we have to be well aware of. Overdrive. If you have a question, suggestion or comment, send an email to overdrive at drivenmedia.com.au. Toyota already leads the SUV market in Australia with five models that have captured over 14% of the total sales, but they see a gap in their products, so they have just announced that they will add an all-new SUV model in late October. The awkwardly named Fortuna has had its world launch, but we won't see the model in Australia, as I said, till October. But journalists were given a briefing and a look at the outside of the car. Rob Fraser from osroma.com.au and I were there. And Rob joins us on the line to chat about what we heard and saw. Rob, when is they going to fit this into their rather crowded product range already? I think they're going to put it in below the uh, Toyota Prado, almost as a as a diesel alternative to the Kluger, if you like, but with true four-wheel drive capability, unlike the Kluger, which is really an all-wheel drive SUV. There is a large growth in the market in this, I guess, more affordable four-wheel drive with a lot of vehicles that were traditionally four-wheel drives heading to the softer road type scenario or the likes of the Prado and the uh, Pajero going very much up market and becoming less and less affordable for the normal person. Oh, okay, yeah. It's not cheap to buy a cruiser, well, to go even higher and buy a cruiser, is it? A land cruiser. You could be looking at 100,000 plus or at least 90,000 plus just for the, you know, the middle of the road type market. So, um, but uh, diesel, and this is what the Fortuna. Is it just me, or do you do you find the name a little bit of a mouthful? It's hard to get your your head around the Fortuna, but particularly as it's sort of so close but different to the the Forerunner, which was um, you know, previously used by Toyota. Car names has always been a bit of an enigma, hasn't it? I regret not asking whether they were stuck with that name or not, but uh, nonetheless, I won't do that. I was going to mention diesels. This does come with a diesel. Uh, in fact, diesels are becoming a bigger part of the SUV, or certainly the large SUV market. They're actually declining in other sorts of passenger cars and that, but it's certainly a, a, a strong feature for SU, significantly sized SUVs. Oh, I think you're right, David, and Toyota does not, uh, an organisation that misses a marketing opportunity and the fact that they're only offering this fortune in a diesel engine I think tells you something about where the market is going for this type of four-wheel drive. The people like the characteristics of the turbo diesel and for the first time in quite some time Toyota has actually put out a diesel that has a fair degree of um, torque associated with it. Okay, it's, it's a new diesel isn't it? We, have, we haven't driven it but they did talk about the numbers. They were very scarce on what they were giving us, but uh, it is an all-new 2.8-litre direct injection four-cylinder turbo diesel, the same that is in the upcoming Hilux coming out at a similar time. The interesting thing about it is that it develops up to 450 newton metres of torque, but 
a lot of that comes in in that 1600 to 2400 RPM range, which is ideal for towing and off-road work and just low turnover cruising on the highway. This thing, thing does have a little bit of uh, commonality with the Hilux Utes, doesn't it? It's, uh, there's a derivative from there. Look, I, I think we'll see that it will share a lot of the same underpinnings, a lot of the same internal um, fit-out, in the same way that the MUX and the Isuzu D-Max are you know, the same internally. Where it does differ, obviously, is in the rear suspension that is a, a coil setup and hopefully a better ride on road. I think they said that the car is going to be at home just as much picking up the kids as it is in the rough and tough outback. I think it's picking up the kids where the coil suspension will come into it rather strongly. I think you're absolutely right. And what that does also do is there's a trade-off for everything. So the the maximum brake towing capacity is slightly lower because it doesn't have the... um, the uh, leaf springs in the rear. So it drops down from three and a half to about three tonnes for the manual or 2.8 for the auto. But the trade-off is a much better ride on road. Mm, yeah, A good summation. Uh, uh, Rob, lovely to talk to you. Thanks very much for your time. Thanks, David. And that's a Rob Fraser from osroma.com.au, a site that specialises particularly in all-wheel drive, four-wheel drive vehicles, uh, not just for looks, but also taking them out, camping and things like that. Uh, it's a good site and a good reference point. And we were talking about the new Toyota Fortuna, a new SUV that they're going to bring onto the market in October of this year. And if you would like to hear a longer interview with Rob, go to our website at drivenmedia.com.au. Overdrive. For more information and past programs, go to drivenmedia.com.au. Well, once again, we get to the end of the program where we talk about some unusual, quirky stories to do with motoring and transport. And again, this week, I am joined by Brian Smith. Go, Brian. Go, David. And Errol Smith. Go, Errol. Go, David. Now, one um, uh, Manuel Emmanuel uh, Fangio, I'll get that right. Uh, he's revered in the motoring world. Uh, he won a world title of the drivers' championship, Formula One, nineteen fifty-one, and then every year from nineteen fifty-four to nineteen fifty-seven. But is nothing sacred. They now want to exhume his body. He died uh, five or so years ago. But a judge in Argentina is calling for this for a paternity test. Uh, Fangio never married or had recognised children in his lifetime, though he did have a long-term relationship with a, a lady uh, who, uh, whose son, Andrea uh, Burrouette Espinosa, his mother was a uh, companion to Fangio, and uh, he's now claiming that he is a descendant. Uh, gentlemen, is this not uh, the ultimate degradation? It is. It's quite a sad thing to to occur. Why can't he be left in peace? I mean, the whole idea mm. that his body may be brought up into a world where uh, Bernie Eccleston is still still running <laughs> F1 yeah, is just yes. a horrifying <laughs> thought. Well, I, I guess you'd, you would find out if he'd turned in his grave. 
<laughs> very quickly. <laughs> That's very good. I think what they're trying to do is create a Jurassic Park, except for oh. creating a a supercar racing people. Get some genetic oh. material while he's Gen- there and clone him. Clone him. <laughs> DNA. Right. That's a fantastic <laughs> idea. If you could find out what what it was about Fangio that made him such mm. an incredible driver. And, uh, oh, okay. you know, and, 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 and you know, DNA identification. Go in for which... a quick, uh, you know, stem cell update. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, uh, if you're going to sort of Jurassic Park it, uh, do, you, do you need, uh, you know, some equivalent DNA from a woman? Uh, of which you'd have to find a, a woman racing driver. Now, there has been a few. One who died just recently was uh, Denise McClugage. Um, she, and there's a picture of her and Fangio and Sterling Moss, who was actually leaning on her shoulder, which might have indicated more about Sterling Moss than anything. But uh, she, she died not long ago. She was you know, a lovely lady who, who, who did quite a lot all over the place. Mm. Or Sabine, Sabine uh, Schmidt. That's the lady who drove, she's still alive, drove that Ford Transit around the Nürburgring mm. quicker than Jeremy Clarkson could drive a Jaguar around it. Or Pat Moss, uh, Sterling Moss's sister, she was a great rally champion. Uh, so, you know, perhaps there's, there's some DNA out there that uh, we might well be able to create a super uh, race S- of people, driver. so to speak. Yes, yes. I'd, uh, indeed, and then though. when the police asked you and, and you, uh, you've been pulled over... Who do you think you are, Fangio? You could certainly, um, uh, you know, Pull out a say, well, look, yeah, part of me is. Yes, here's my DNA. <laughs> yes. A fabulous of story he, he by, never, a, fed, by Fangio, a racing driver who, uh, um, who had, uh, was driving Fangio um, and, uh, or being driven by Fangio and uh, crashed into a truck and uh, in the US and... Uh, the truck driver demanded of the American, who do you think you are driving like that, Fangio? Uh, the American replied, no, but he is, and uh, pointed to the injured Argentinian race driver. Oh. Yeah. Do you know Fangio began racing in the 1930s in a Model A Ford taxi? A taxi? So. Yeah. But it, like, mm. not officially racing. Uh, yeah. well, I like, you, I, you mean like most taxi drivers? <laughs> Uh, but it, what's great about Fangio was they say he's a tactical genius, uh, prolific, you know, speed when he required to do it. But of course, he won titles in an Alfa, in a Maserati, in a Mercedes, and a Ferrari. So he really mixed them around, but still won all the Grand Prix. Yeah, and indeed, Grand Prix. at one point, there's a belief that he'd uh, he'd allowed Sterling Moss to win the British Grand Prix at Aintree in '55. Ah, mm. yes. okay, just sort of. Uh, Bernie believed that that happened. Mm. Mm. Well, he, well, he never married or had uh, children that that is known of. So, that, of course, that's where all this all this fuss has come from. Um, I, I don't know if his body is going in and out of a hole. Is that technically a pit stop? You <laughs> 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 can whip him up and get him put back together with a rattle gun. <laughs> They'll time how long it takes to get him in and out. <laughs> That's a fantastic idea. He'll be, he'll be exhumed in record time. Yes. <laughs> They'll be out DNA tested back in a new box and, and mush. 
Ah, now, advertising. You couldn't do it in the day of Fangio, but you can do it now, and in fact, you might even be able to do it in a special way. Errol, a story. Yes, well, well David, did you love stickers as a kid? Um, <laughs> on cars? Some, some kids just love stickers, and they put them all over their cupboard and their walls and all the rest of it. But, of course, now you're a grown-up and you don't have anything to sticker anymore. Then fear not, because those inventive Germans have found a way to put stickers on somewhere you may have never thought it was even possible your tires yes this is a way to snazz up your car truck or motorcycle with the lettering of your choice around your tires in 14 different colors including chrome gold neon pink and night glow uh, now you might think that's kind of useless unless you're stationary but apparently the stroboscopic effect means they are often legible at speed what do you reckon do you want to put something around your tires i worry you buy it letter at a time that means there's going to be a whole lot of bad spelling and poor alignment. <laughs> That's right. I can't even get the numbers to go on my bin straight and level on my garbage bin. I wonder if you can buy an apostrophe. <laughs> you <know> that. <laughs> and put it uh, in the you, wrong place. You, you, I wonder if well, you should get a little red squiggle and put it under the bits that are spelt wrong. Well, it'll be easy to tell who uh, <laughs> who's driving the car or riding a motorbike who is a greengrocer. Yes, they, 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 potatoes with an apostrophe, yeah. <laughs> That's right. Hey, do you know, though, I, I noticed that these things, are, the adhesive to hold these things on, has been tested at 180 miles per hour. Um, now, I, I wonder whether we could make um, the actual treads out of this stuff, like a, you know, like a retread, just, oh. uh, you know, mm. lay it over the tyre. They make it sound so good. It does actually sound stronger than the tyre it's being attached to. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it doesn't go far enough. I think that I'd like to see this company coming up with some spoky dokies for motorbikes. <laughs> yeah. And, and sort of the equivalent for a car of uh, a couple of footy cards on the forks to make that sort of that authentic V8 sort of sound. Sound. Yeah. I, w I wonder if we could have stick figures of the family as oh, the well. the family as and it's spinning dog. around very, very fast. Yeah, I, yes. I, I don't know if my, I want my, my, the pet dog spinning around the tyre. Yeah. Um. <laughs> All right, gentlemen, on that note, we will uh, make our way. Thank you very much for your time. Bye-bye. No right. And that's Errol Smith and Brian Smith talking uh, the more unusual stories to do with motoring and transport. And if you want to hear a longer version of that uh, discussion panel, you can go to our website at drivenmedia.com.au, which includes more talk about stick-on labels, where your lost airline luggage goes to, and an unfortunate movie that screened at a bus depot. And this has been Overdrive. My thanks to Errol Smith, Brian Smith, Rob Fraser, Paul Morell and Paul Just for their great help during the program. Overdrive is syndicated to stations across Australia on the Community Radio Network. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening.